what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv online podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am a co-founder and co-director of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. With me, my co-host, for how many episodes running now, Chris? I mean, this has been going on for, have we hit, we've hit 100 episodes, right? I feel like we have. I, we, you and I have never sat down and really counted the episodes. We probably should do that because we probably missed an anniversary or two somewhere in there, like a special episode we should have had. But um, anyway, no listeners sent flowers or chocolate or like some. Special- no. So I, I, I think we kind of have to call attention to it and go backwards and celebrate it um, after the fact. Sure. Anyway, that voice you just heard, that's Chris Fry. He is also co-director, co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and Film Festival. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm a little thrown off my game. We usually record this in like the afternoon, um, yep. but schedules have shifted. So we're recording this like at 8.30 in the morning. So I, mm-hmm. I have my coffee. I have had breakfast. So I think I'll be like somewhat coherent in my thoughts. I actually, I actually think this might be Better. I think I'm a little more alert, a little more on my game here first thing in the morning. I think as the day drags on, I don't know. Maybe we're going to be smarter talking about these films here in the morning. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But uh, but but let's get right into it and why we get together. You and I get together every couple of weeks to record the show and ask to talk about movies. Foot Candle Films is our ongoing uh, film review and discussion show here on the Mesh Network. Every time we get together, we have at least one or two films that we will give a review of, uh, discuss it, uh, give our opinions. Then we move on to some other segments where we talk about some different movie news and recommendations we have for you as well. So Chris, today's show, uh, it's a good one. We've got a lot of good stuff to talk about. First up, we'll be reviewing the film Greyhound, which is an Apple TV Plus exclusive uh, starring a Mr. Tom Hanks. Uh, And then we'll be moving into a review of the film The Rental, which is directed by Dave Franco. He of the James Franco clan, uh, brother of James Franco, uh, a horror film that also went straight to online that we'll be discussing The Rental. Then we'll be moving into what we call our trailer tapas, where we actually play a couple of trailers of upcoming interesting films. And you and I kind of dissect what we're going to what we're looking at and what we're what our opinions are of the film that they're promoting. Then we have a couple of news items about some just general movie news, production news that's happening in the movie world. And then we end up our show, Chris and I both give a recommendation of something we think is worth checking out, a film that uh, is available online, especially as uh, some people are still quarantined, uh, something to be able to check out uh, while you're home that we either just caught back up with or just uh, feel like is, it's worth your time and, and energy to watch. So Chris, we got a full show. Uh, if it's okay with you, um, we're just going to jump right in and get started. Let's do it. All right. So let's go ahead and get into our first review, which is the latest film starring Tom Hanks. 
is a World War II uh, naval warfare submarine battleship, I don't know, whatever you want to describe it, film called Greyhound. We'll rain hell down from on high. Dear Lord, let your holy angel be with me. That the evil foe may have no power over me. Into your hands I commend myself, my body, and soul. Amen. Congratulations on your command. Always be looking for you, Evie. Even if I'm a thousand miles away. Air escort to Greyhound. You will now be out of range of air cover for the next five days. Safe travels to England. How many crossings does this make? This is my first. I got some. Most likely a U-boat. Tom Hanks doesn't seem to have good luck when it comes to the ocean. He's been marooned on an island, forcing him to befriend a volleyball and castaway. He's had his cargo ship hijacked by pirates and Captain Phillips. And now he's a newbie Navy commander charged with shepherding a supply convoy across the sea that's being hunted by a group of relentless German U-boats. Alan, how did Greyhound, with a screenplay by Hanks, compare to those other dramas, and I guess the obvious question, how does it compare to other World War II films for you? Hmm. Um, okay. So I, I have some very mixed feelings about this film, some very mixed reactions to it. I'll just go ahead and be very, very upfront about um, this movie. If you watch the trailer for this film, you watch any of the little clips or previews of it. Sure. You pretty much know what you're getting into. Okay. It, it's, it is exactly what you would predict it to be <laughs> thinking about this film. Uh, it's yeah, a, it, a, a, it, it <laughs> right. It recounts a, a historical event uh, of trying to help uh, escort a convoy of ships across the ocean. Uh, yeah. But there is a certain amount of uh, a period of time where they're not going to have any air cover. So of course they're kind of sitting ducks in a way for German U-boats to attack. I mean, right. you know, it's it's a it's a it's a perfect setup for a action movie, military action film. And Tom Hanks is an extremely capable uh, captain commander of of the ship in question. Um, but I do feel like the film is basically, you know, do you like submarines? Do you like ships fighting? Do you like Tom Hanks? Do you like Tom Hanks giving out a whole lot of commands and using binoculars a lot? Yes. And do you, do you like the words rudder and bearing and sonar? So if, if the answer to any of those questions is yes, you're going to find some level of enjoyment out of this film. But I will say, walking away from it, it, it didn't really stick with me because it's not a film I feel like is uh, really does anything unique, doesn't do anything different. It doesn't do anything interesting. It is very much a 90-minute Here's the story. We're going to throw a whole lot of action scenes at you. And at the end of the day, I walk away from the film saying, I, I can't really call out a part of the film that I liked, you know, that I thought was really interesting. It all just kind of blurred together into one long 
dramatic action sequence that seemed seemed repetitive. It seemed uh, uh, very recycled. But again, it looked nice. Tom Hanks is a is, is fine in the role. So again, uh, it's passable entertainment. You know, it was on my Apple TV Plus. I didn't have to really pay for it because I get a free subscription for a year. So you know, sure, why not? Anyway, uh, it, it's a very it, it's not a very uh, exuberant review here for for the film. I just found it to be very pedestrian, very very straightforward, and it's nothing stuck in my brain after I finished watching the the, the film at all. So Chris. I want to hear your thoughts on it. It sounds like we're we're pretty much on the same page with this film. I think, you know, the best thing about the film doesn't come as a shock is Tom Hanks. Um, you know, he, yeah. he is, of course, solid. He you know, does a good job in the role, but the rest of the film, kind of like you're saying, it just it just seems like very mechanical and doesn't really yeah. have a lot to it. Um, I found the the different, the spouting off of all the naval lingo, it kind of like, I mean, I, I assume because I have not been in the Navy, um, but I assume that it's pretty accurate how they're like giving commands. Or oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. It, it, what it ends up doing is you kind of don't know what they're saying. Right. I mean, you do, but you don't. And so you're just kind of like, okay, they're spouting off all these commands again. I don't know what it means, but it's like, so it's like you're almost, you need subtitles to understand like, oh, they're saying this, you know, but yeah, it, right kind of gives you a sense of sameness because of course the U-boats or the submarines keep attacking them. So it's like, Oh, here we go again. And they start saying all these different commands and you're like, okay. So it just seems like you see the same battle like yeah. five or six times. That, um, that's why I said, I just didn't feel like anything stood out. Like I couldn't, I can't, what do I say after, if I tell somebody about this film, I like the part where that submarine attacks the boat I, it, that happens 12 times you know in the film so it just seemed very it was very repetitive and the thing with the the the, the lingo the the uh, uh kind of the the shipworthy lingo that's being used i i think it seems incredibly authentic so i i absolutely credit it for that i love a film when they really work to get the the the, the mechanics and the lot the dialogue correct but they weren't trying to tell the story through words and and dialogue they were just going to throw a lot of words and dialogue that were authentic words and dialogue being used at the time. They're just trying to ratchet it all up with the drama. So in other words, a somebody down below says, Oh, captain, we've got this, 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 the music and the pacing and Tom Hanks's reaction is what we're supposed to respond to. Not, not the words, which can be a good or bad thing. You don't really know what's going on all the time. You just have to read people's faces and be like, Oh, this must be a bad thing because Tom Hanks now looks very worried. <laughs> so he wasn't worried a few minutes ago. Now yeah. he's worried after hearing this piece of information. So this must be a bad thing. And that's kind of how the whole film was. It's just, you just kind of responding to dramatic cues of when the next action sequence was going to happen. And it just felt repetitive, which is a shame because it was only a 90 minute movie, but I still felt like it just kind of kept repeating the same beats. And, sure. um, there's like a maybe a five minutes on each end bookends of like non-action with yeah. some level of dramatic development that didn't work. It just yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, it 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 really didn't work. Those scenes, you know, it's almost like I just almost rather they didn't even try to add those elements to it. It's like if you're just gonna make an action film, just jump right into it. Just do it. Well don't don't try to couch it with anything else. So yeah. I'll kind of second that. Um off, off the you know straight on the record, I'll say I love Elizabeth Shue. I like her as an mm. actor. I always like her. She doesn't show up that often. 
she she shows up as kind of one of the front bookends of the film. She's his. Uh, I should. They are married. It is his wife, or they're engaged. No, no, no. He wanted to. He wanted to propose to her. Okay. Okay. And she. That's yeah, her. That was like the initial thing. He wanted to take her somewhere and propose to her, and she said, "No, it's you're getting ready to go off to to, to war, and I, I, I let's wait till we can be together." So. Okay. So you know that setting, and it's like then they just jump to the boats. And then in the boats, they flash back to that, him seeing her and the kind of that moment. And they have a callback at the very end of the film because of, you know, they have a little bit of a callback to it. Yeah, I agree with you. If you're, the screenplay wants to be an action movie, so just ditch that stuff and don't yeah. have it at all because it doesn't really add anything. And it it seems to be more of a, a contrivance or a way to kind of yeah. extend emotion and extend the screenplay in a running time a little bit. And it just didn't work. Um, I think, and you know, this is, I mentioned kind of in the setup, this is a screenplay by Tom Hanks based on a Mm -hmm. book, but uh, he did the screenplay. And I think that's where some of the, the, I think that's where the film falls short. You know, the acting on the visuals are, you know, good, I think. Um, But it's just, it's just in the screenplay that, yeah, if you could have lopped off some of that stuff, the bookend stuff and kind of, made it more streamlined on board the ship and made it, I don't know, try to make the instances a little bit more individualistic. So they stood out. Right. You can call them easier, I guess, like you were saying. Um, mm. I, I will say, I thought the different types of ships they showed, the costuming, the production design, all of that was good. Um, I don't know if this was originally before, you know, coronavirus, if this was originally going to come out in the theater and then. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Tom, Tom Hanks supposedly is very, was very kind of tormented about the fact that, you know, this was like a big film. He was really putting a lot of time and and investment into, and it had planned to go to theaters and they kind of had to punt, you know? So. I'll say that, and maybe it's just watching it on my TV. Maybe that made the difference. Whereas if I were to see it in the theater, I wouldn't be able to, because you know, the screen is so huge, you can't focus on anything. I, I thought things looked good, but when they did a lot of the waves and sometimes the big, like, you know, pseudo crane shots that they would do that would go up from the ships, it came across to me looking very digital. Yeah. Um, no, I think it would have been very, very digital on a big screen. Um, sometimes like some, like, <laughs> this is kind of a weird comparison, but sometimes some of the uh, battles on like the Avengers movies and other things, when I see them in the theater, because the scope of the screen and because you're like, you can't see the whole screen at once, you're looking around different areas. It almost seems to be more realistic or something in a weird yeah. way. Whereas I see it at home and it's shrunk down and smaller. It just looks faker. And so that's mm-hmm. in this movie. I felt like it would have lent itself. It would have seemed less digital and more realistic if I'd seen it like in a big theater, but yeah. I mean, there are some shots and some 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 visual sequences I thought were really pretty impressive. There's there's one shot I, I recall in particular, a very wide shot where you just see the whole landscape of the ocean, mm-hmm. and, and the camera rises, just keeps rising and rising until it passes through the clouds, yeah, and then you see above the clouds, but you can still see kind of the flashes of battle going on through the clouds. You know, some nice visual touches, a couple moments that really stood out, and. Uh, I'll say on the good side of things with the film, you know, uh, I, I agree with you on Tom Hanks. I thought he was good. Uh, I thought it was a pretty 
straightforward role to play. I mean, there wasn't a lot of nuance to it. They did try to weave in some the fact that he's a very religious man, which I thought was a nice touch to not shy away from that and just be very, he's very regimented in his belief system. Right. Um, so I thought all that was good. And I did like some of the visual touches. There's one element of the film, which I've never seen in another World War II submarine naval warfare film that I thought was unique. And I really hope it was authentic. It was the, what's that? The bloody slippers. <laughs> well, no, no, I'll get to that in a second. So um, uh, the, the, the German taunting that was coming yeah. out over the radio, there yeah. were a few moments of that where that was really effective. I thought, so basically Germans were kind of hacking into whatever channel that the, uh, uh, the, the, the ships were using uh, for their communication. It was basically just taunting them, causing the Tom Hanks character to have to issue a command to switch to another radio frequency just so they wouldn't have to hear them. And I thought that every time those popped in, it was kind of creepy. It was great. It was, it was well done. So I, I love that element of it too. Not that you and I are like war movie aficionados and we've just like, you know, seen them all. We can teach classes on it, but we have seen a few, and to me, that touch was really unique because I also wrote it down in my notes, like to bring that up that that was something I really liked. The taunting, like you said, mm-hmm. so, I mean, we've seen like the leaflets dropped in other movies that's like propaganda mm-hmm. type stuff, but yeah, the idea of a German sub kind of hacking into their radio and like doing it not once but twice, and it's like you yeah. know, saying all this stuff like we're gonna hunt you, we're the wolves, you know, today's gonna be the day you die, and all this kind of stuff, yeah. I don't remember ever seeing that type of thing before. So that I thought that was really... I mean, I'm sure it happened in the war, obviously, but I've never seen it depicted on film, which was really... Now, I mean, unless there's, I'm sure there's probably a film that did do it. We just haven't seen. Um, well, and plus it gave some level of, you know, you never really see the Germans, you know, right. except you see the images on the side of their submarine. So when you hear the guy over the radio saying, we're the wolf and we're hunting you down, and then you look out the window and, yep, there's a submarine with a wolf image on the on the top uh, top part of it. It's like, okay, that's effective. That works. That gave you some connection that makes the film more than just action sequence after action sequence. Um, sure. So, yeah, there are some good things about the film. And, I, again, it's, it, it is a brisk 90 minutes, although I felt very repetitive in that 90 minutes. It, did no, it didn't overstay its welcome either as a film. And um, my frustration, just like you already mentioned, the bookends, uh, Elizabeth Shue was not good, unfortunately, in that. It does feel like it was tacked on, almost like, well, we can't just have a movie of just Tom Hanks uh, commanding a ship with battles going on. We need something to like humanize him. So let's do this. And it, it didn't need it. And um, then there was a moment you just alluded to the bloody shoes. There's a moment where uh, Tom Hanks's character asked for somebody to go get some slippers because he wants to not wear these shoes anymore. And you understand that he's been on his feet like for hours upon hours and yeah, days. And since they left. The, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and they made kind of a, a passing moment where you see him changing and you notice that his feet are basically bloody. He's you know kind of stood up so much and been on his feet for so long. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it didn't really amount to anything. I mean, it's just, you know, it, if you want to try to humanize him, I think the bits where he would have everybody stop and pray. He did his, his recognition of prayer before meals. Uh, people were, uh, crewmen were getting into fights and he was having to kind of deal with them in a certain way and using Bible scripture to kind of 
guide his actions. That was enough. I mean, that that tells me what I need to know about this character and trying to add in the love interest, trying to make things more dramatic without really following up on it. It, it just it just didn't need it, I didn't think. So the scene that sticks out, I'd forgotten about it, but you you reminded me of it just now. Um, him kind of using scripture at different points was kind of a unique thing to see in a Hollywood film. There's another time where, and this part worked for me. They didn't hit it heavily, but unlike the Elizabeth Shue, like, you know, fiance type thing that was bookended, that didn't work. Um, several times there's a cook on board. He's African-American and he tries mm -hmm. to bring him food. He's like too busy or maybe his stomach's not, he's just not feeling it. And he doesn't eat. Well, during one attack, that guy dies. Mm -hmm. um, and not only does he die, apparently how the ship was hit or whatever, his body is like pretty much just kind of blown apart. Yeah. So they have, they do, they are able to have funerals for them really quick in between like attacks with the submarines and that scene where they're like putting the bodies in the water and they have them covered up in these sacks and you see them like raising flags and you kind of see Tom Hanks through the flags. That was kind of a nice yeah. cinematic moment and him kind of realizing here's the guy that was trying to help me and now he's dead, you know, and it just, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't overstay its welcome. And actually later in the film, a different person comes and brings him food and he mistakes it and calls him yeah. the other name. The guy's like, uh, and when so the film tries to reconcile the idea of, of Hanks's character being a devout Christian, uh, a, a, a very, very purist in his belief system, but yet then he's facing it with people coming up to him and congratulating him that he murdered the German soldiers. Yes. There were moments like that where I'm like, that's interesting. Okay. Keep playing with that. I want to see the fact that he is praying before every meal. He, 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 he wants to live his life uh, very, very uh, tied to the, the Bible and, and, and the words there. But yet he recognizes that people are dying around him partly by his actions. Oh yeah. That the moments where they start to flirt with that kind of conflict, I loved, I thought were the best parts of the film. Um, it's just, again, they, you didn't need the Elizabeth shoe, uh, romance angle. You did not need, you know, yes, we know he's going to be tired standing on his feet and his feet are going to be bloody and hurt. Yeah. You know, focus on folk. Just give us that, that conflict. And at the end of the day, you know, he's, uh, not, not only getting spoilers, but basically you see him like one of the last shots, I think, is you see him uh, on the ship. And, um, you know, that's where you could build the bookends is this whole conflict that may go on inside a single person. So anyway, it was a, a little bit of a missed opportunity to not play with that angle more. Um, but overall, you know, it just it was, it was good passable entertainment, you know, for 90 minutes, I was fine watching it. It just, I, nothing really stuck with me afterwards. And it's not something where I tell anybody, Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is great. There were these scenes and especially this one scene you guys see nothing really stood out. It just seemed to be kind of a blend of recycled action scenes for, you know, 75 of the 90 minutes of the film. And, uh, although well done sure. and interesting, just, uh, not a lot. You know, I take a look at a film like Crimson Tide, which I do unabashedly love. That was the Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman film. You take a film like Master and Commander um, from uh, years ago. Those are ones yeah. where you're dealing with the same kind of idea of uh, out on the ocean, you're kind of in a tight, confined space, and you're having to make decisions because things are attacking or you're having to kind of save the lives of your crew that I think just do it much better um, by ratcheting up the drama and making it unique. Um, 
this one just seemed very repetitive and recycled. So yeah, I would agree, and I'd add to that uh, Das Boot. The oh German yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's another one. That that one I kept thinking of Master and Commander and Das Boot, kind of like pushed together and put in World War II. I'm like, that's what this is like. It's just doesn't come across as well as either one of them. No, yeah. no. So you know, if you've got Apple TV Plus, and you know uh, you like Tom Hanks. You like uh, submarine movies. You like uh, 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 naval warfare films. Yes, uh, it's worth 90 minutes. I'd say check it out. Enjoy it. But if that's not your cup of tea, if these are not the type of films you typically like, I don't think there's anything you're missing here that uh, warrants you. Uh, you can give a pass on this one. I guess is what we're saying. Yeah. Okay. So that's Greyhound. That is, again, on Apple TV+. Plus. It is starring Tom Hanks. It is basically, if you have an Apple TV Plus subscription, you've got it now. Uh, Apple TV Plus, I think, pretty much comes, uh, you get it for like a year anytime you buy an Apple you know, hardware product. Uh, so I think a lot of people have it right now. So hopefully, if, if you're interested, it should be available for you to watch. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and move into our second review, the horror film, The Rental. Let me show you out back, and then I'll get out of your hair. The stars are insane out here. I should have brought the telescope. What do you need a telescope in the city for? Unless you're like a peeping Tom or something. <laughs> in the film The Rental, we follow two couples who are renting a vacation home for what is supposed to be for a celebratory weekend getaway. Two of the people in these couples work together and are celebrating a big milestone in their company's growth. So they bring their significant others with them for this weekend, finding a home online to rent, kind of in an Airbnb type situation. Um, as they go about their weekend, things take a little turn for the worst as the film progresses. And we are faced with a, a horror film, a truly horror thriller film Uh uh, from that situation. Now, Chris, what I just described may sound to people if they're listening, if they've been past podcast listeners, they may be hearing that setup and say, wait a minute, Chris, didn't, didn't you, you and Alan already review this film? Because even just in the last few weeks, it sounds like it. Yes. Because there was a film we reviewed just a few weeks ago called you should have left starring Kevin Bacon, where a family finds a place online to rent and goes to stay at this place, kind of an Airbnb type situation there again. And it turns into a horror type thriller film. Okay. So my question to you, Chris, is knowing that the overall premise is fairly similar. It's kind of interesting. This is kind of becoming maybe the new norm for horror films. Instead of going to summer camps or mm -hmm. other places like we used to do in the 80s and 90s, maybe Airbnbs are the whole new you know, you rent a place and you don't know anything about it. And the place is filled with mystery or danger or whatever it may be. <laughs> right. Exactly. This is the whole new genre. So my question to you, Chris, is seeing as how we both just saw these two films in the last 30 day span of each other, both of them were released online. So again, we've got that filter of not seeing it in a movie theater or watching it in our home environment. My question is a pretty simple one with Dave Franco's the rental actor, Dave Franco, also now a director, just like his brother, James, um, how does it compare to the Kevin Bacon one we just reviewed a few weeks ago? Better or worse? You know, okay, I will answer that. And I'm going to disagree with you, by the way. So just go ahead. I'm just setting okay. you up, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I will answer. So let me let me just restate the question so I'm clear on it. 
your 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 answer or your question is which is better you should have left or the rental yeah you were you were pretty lukewarm on you should have left i mean you thought it was okay but not great if i remember correctly i mean it wasn't a negative review but you were a little surprised i think you liked it a little better maybe than you expected and i liked it better than you yes okay all right so okay so let me frame because i think it's important okay um uh, the rental, you're right. It didn't come out in theaters, but it was allowed to come to drive-ins. Um, at ah, the start, right. At the start of my vaca- family vacation, we were actually able to take a vacation as a family this year. It was kind of crazy because a lot of stuff shut down, a lot of stuff's not safe. But um, we made it to my kids and I believe my wife's. No, she said she went to one when she was like five. But anyways, took to my kids to their first drive-in movie. They are old enough now, so it was an R-rated film. It was the rental paired with another movie that came afterwards. Um, so seeing like a kind of weird, you don't know much about horror movie at a drive-in theater, that just seems to be setting it up for this is going to be amazing. Even if the movie is not, the film, you know, the experience is going to be amazing. Partner that with, keep in mind, I did show my kids the trailer so they knew kind of what we were going to watch. Um, I showed it to my wife. Keep in mind, after we did the drive-in, our vacation consisted of staying at two different Airbnbs. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Okay, so knowing all that, you're like, man, the rental was probably like the best or the worst, but, you know, kind of in a cool, weird way because podcast listeners know how my mind works. That was probably the best setup for your vacation. Therefore, you love the movie. This movie um, had potential, but, you know, my daughter leaned over to me about 30 minutes and she's like, this is boring. This is so typical. Nothing is happening. It's not really interesting. There's not, you know, it's just, there's nothing going on. It's a shorter movie too. I don't remember the runtime. Is it like 90 minutes maybe? Yeah, um, if, if yeah. that. It's uh, hour 28. Yeah, so, yeah. 88 minutes is pretty short. The only thing that, at the very beginning of this film, they do a little bit of um, interesting things with the girl who plays, Sheila Vand. She plays one of the two mm-hmm. people in the company. She's, um, she's not from a different country. They play. They kind of have a little bit of a thread of, you know, people not liking foreigners. There's a little bit of that, but it's never followed up on. So that was interesting, but then it just kind of falls and goes nowhere. And then towards the end of the film, you have a little bit of a kind of a gotcha moment where the person you thought was going to be an antagonist isn't. And then literally over the credits, some things that happened during, I mean, right before the credits, like the last like five minutes, you're like, okay, that's kind of a cool touch, but that's not enough for me to say that I really like like this film. It's and it it comes across as and one of the the guy who helped um the guy who helped Franco write the script, Joe Swamberg, he comes from that whole movement of mumblecore, mm-hmm. the Dupont brothers, and kind of these improvised, usually they're comedies or like drama comedies. Um but I could see how the script script is just very loose and there's not a whole lot to it. It's like, um, I saw the movie critic, David Ehrlich say that the rental is a, you know, slow burn slasher movie that aspires to do for Airbnb is what psycho did for motels. And that seems like a really interesting, you're like, okay. And it just barely does that. (laughs) You know, 
So to answer your question, um, looking back on the review that we did of You Should Have Left, if you could have taken the beginnings of You Should Have Left and taken the ending of the rental and somehow put those two together, you'd have a really amazing movie. But as it is, I like You Should Have Left much better because there was more to keep me interested as the film went on. Now, towards the end, the the conclusion, some of that stuff is kind of eye rolling and it kind of falls apart a little bit, but it kept me interested. I mean, some of the cinematography and some of that stuff and you should have left was much more interesting than anything going on in the rental. So that was a long winded uh, diatribe on which I thought was better. You should have left or the rental. Alan, what are you? And favorite? as I, as I pre precluded, I am disagreeing with you. Okay. I, I really liked the rental and I, I don't know, Chris, if maybe you set my expectations low because wow. you saw it before I did and you came in and kind of gave me a, a, enough of a nonverbal cue to know where you stood with this film. And I well, know you after all these years long enough, I know, I know those cues. So I could tell if you were digging the film or not. And I think that caused me to go into watching it with lower expectations, but I really did enjoy it. Okay. Um, the first 45 minutes. Yeah. Are slow, but I felt like it was a really well done slow burn. I actually was kind of in, engaged in what's going on with these four characters. I felt like they were hmm? 45 minutes of a slow burn though. I mean, that's, that's half the film and there's, yeah. just, there's just nothing unique going on. It's just people like talking and couples kind of, you know, having romantic tension or just, yeah, it just wasn't enough, but you're saying it was enough for you. It, it Absolutely. My wife and I both watched it together. We both walked away saying, yeah, we really, really enjoyed that. Um, I think I think the reason I liked it better than the Kevin Bacon film is the Kevin Bacon film had such a great premise and set up and things really were got off to a good start. I felt like they were just kind of making things up as they went along, as they went later in the film. It was using a lot of, uh, sometimes it was some digital uh, effects. Sometimes it was other things just to try to throw you off. The rentals, the very much the opposite on the horror spectrum. It's very much a look. There's no trickery here. There's no you know digital effects. There's nothing. It, it's truly like this is it. It's. I mean, if you look back at the original Halloween, John Carpenter Halloween, okay, it's very similar. The John Carpenter Halloween, the first thirty minutes, I don't think really anything really happens. It's all Jamie Lee Curtis. You follow the other kids, the family, and then when Michael Myers gets involved, that's when you know things start going bad. Um, yeah, I'll say the the rental takes more of its time and is a slower burn than even that film. But I got to get to the point where, you know, by the end of the film, I think there's several key moments that last 15, 20 minutes I thought were really well done. I thought they were scary. I thought it was intense. I thought uh, the the assailant we have, uh, the, the the couple of times we're able to see what's what's happening were really well done. There's a there's a sequence out in the woods with a a mobile phone light that I thought was actually generally pretty kind of frightening. And, you know, so I, it worked for me. I, I liked it a lot. Now, granted, Chris, you watched it in a drive-in theater with a, right. which I know drive-in theaters. I know the projectors are typically not as bright. Would you have a dark scene in a film? They're a little harder to see in a drive-in than you would if you were in your home TV set. This is a very dark movie, so I do think probably some enjoyment of it might be lessened by not watching it in a very clear vision of the whole film. Because um, I'm even thinking there's one scene, Chris, where 
if it was a dark screen, I I don't think it would have worked. It's actually the very first time we kind of see who's, you know, we kind of see the assailant involved, um, but they're in a very, very shadowy background spot. So again, if you're in a dark uh, driving screen, man, that could be really, really tough to appreciate and see. So I'm not going to say it's a perfect movie. It had some really clunky exposition early on. There are a few scenes where, uh, Dan Stevens and Allison Brie playing a couple kind of basically say, well, remember, you know, my brother had this happen and this happened and this happened. In other words, cluing us into that character in a right. very unnatural conversation that people would not just have if they've known each other for a really long time. So I, I that was giving me a little bit of eye rolls early on. I felt like there was some clunk, clunky exposition. But once once things started rolling with the film, I was actually digging it. So I I liked it quite a bit more than you should have left. And uh, kind of surprised how much I liked it. So, yeah. I, I, something about the acting and the casting seemed off to me. Um, Dan Stevens was good. Allison Brie, which I normally like and stuff, I, uh, maybe it was just the chemistry between her and Dan Stevens and the fact Dave Franco is her husband. So maybe like he was directing mm-hmm. the movie. And maybe that was what made it odd for her. But like Allison Brie, I didn't feel like worked. Um, Jeremy Allen White, who was you know one of the four people too, I didn't feel like he was. It was really working for him. Dan Stevens and Sheila Van, though, I thought she was good. And I wish Sheila Van would have been given, like, more to do. Um, I, I liked her in A Girl Walks Home Alone mm-hmm. at Night, uh, which yeah. was one of the first things I'd seen her in, where she, it's like a vampire movie, um, black and white. It's kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, just I expected more. And the opening had some moments. And then, like you're saying, the last, like, 10, 15 minutes maybe. Um, but overall just didn't, there wasn't enough there to make it interesting to me. Yeah. All right. I, it, it built really well for me again. I, we, I was engaged. I'm, you know, Hey, look, I'm a, I'm the guy that I watch films a lot of times, unfortunately later at night. And if they don't grab me in the first 15, 20 minutes, I'm, I'm normally dozing off and having to go back and rewatch parts of it later to, to catch up. Uh, this one wasn't the case. I, I I was I was kind of into it, and I was kind of eager to see. I, I think too, just the whole slasher film genre. It, it's tried to be kind of reinvented over you know over time. It's kind of yeah. I remember when Scream came out. It was kind of like uh, the Wes Craven film. That was supposed to be the reinvention of the slasher film to make it a little more modern, a little more hip, and you know, and, and that worked for a little while, but. I still feel like the idea of the Sasha film, the formula is pretty similar. And I'm going to say, yeah, it was pretty similar here too. I mean, it was a, you know, four people going off to a place where they're kind of disconnected from the rest of the world. And you find out there's some things going on between the four of them that are causing some situations to be amplified. But uh, to, to me, again, it was modernizing the idea, the concept of the rental property. Uh, you mentioned the ending credits, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice in the film and that, once you understand or get a sense of who's responsible, what's happening and why the ending credits are basically showing you this person continuing their work, I guess, in a way. And, uh, I liked it. I mean, again, I thought, you know, it, 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 I, not to go into spoiler with it, but the, the film was less interested with who the person was and more what the danger of the situations could be, you know, uh, going for anyway, it's very vague. I, I can't really say more without giving too much else away, but um, I, I liked it. I thought the rental was great. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not 
I've seen some of James Franco's directorial work and have never really been terribly impressed or thought it was great. James Franco as an actor, I'm very mixed on. Dave Franco, I haven't really seen as an actor much at all, except I think, uh, was it, he he was in The Disaster Artist. He was in The Disaster Artist, yeah. That was probably like the, and I know he was on the TV show Scrubs, like late in the the, the show's career. There's also I, a movie that I know I championed and then had to back off my recommendation because I watched it a second time and then I watched the sequel and it was terrible. Um, now You See Me. Oh, that's right. He was in those films. Um, okay. So nothing has really impressed me as far as what I've seen with him. And I'm not saying that this is a, a stellar directorial effort that he's destined for greatness, but I mean, it's got some nice nice touches to it. He definitely seems to have a good handle on the material. And I, I I'm kind of curious to see if he continues as a director on things. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was an interesting first, first job, you know, that, like you say, I'm, I'm not writing it off totally. I wanted a little more, but um, maybe it was all about expectations. So, yeah, could be. Well, that's the rental. That is a rental you can get online or, you know, you can purchase it either way. It's available, I think, on just on, you know, Apple TV uh, or, or uh, Google, um, uh, shoot, Amazon, anywhere you can rent a film online yeah, I mean, these days. I think it's it's out there somewhere. Yeah. So I am recommending it. Chris uh, was not as high on it. Um, but I, I did think it was a lot of fun. If you're into horror movies, I mean, this one doesn't go extreme horror you know not as much as some other recent horror films have but it's got enough of it in there that you know it's it's really for people who who i i feel like want to see a a nice little take on a horror film so uh so that's the rental by james franco available online so chris let's uh take a quick break when we come back we've got our trailer tapas section and some news and our recommendations so still a lot to do here on foot candle films we're going to take a quick break And we'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Uh, Before the break, Chris and I gave our reviews of the film Greyhound and The Rental. Uh, but now it's time to move into some future looking discussions, talking about films that are either being released now or will be released soon. Um, Chris, we do a part of our show where we call it the trailer tapas, which is, uh, kind of this idea of, you know, little morsels of trailers that we're going to kind of spread and share and, and then talk about, uh, trailers. Yeah, obviously, you know, you may have mixed feelings about how they work as a promotional tool. Sometimes people feel like they give away too much. Uh, we typically try to focus on the trailers that are going to helpfully get us excited about a film project or ones that we're really curious about. And that does apply to the two we're going to talk about today. So we got two trailers, Chris, that we're going to play. And what we're going to do is play the trailer. We'll set up the film, tra- play the trailer, which I know in an audio podcast, you're just going to hear the audio of the trailer. But I think there's enough there to kind of work with. Then after that, we, you and I will kind of talk about our thoughts and what we what we what we're hearing from the trailer, what we think maybe looks interesting, or questions we may have. Sound good? Yeah, it does. Great. Well, let's go ahead and jump into our first one then. Uh, the first trailer I've got queued up is a film called "I'm Thinking of Ending Things." It is a film by Charlie Kaufman. Now, if that name sounds familiar, Charlie Kaufman uh, 
probably best known for either being John Malkovich, writing about being John Malkovich. Uh, he also uh, wrote uh, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And then he wrote and directed Synecdoche, New York, and, uh, Anomalisa. Yeah. Did I get that? Did I say that right? Yes. So uh, he's both writer and has been a director as well. Um, so with this, he has a film that's coming straight to Netflix. Interesting. Uh, called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Let's go ahead and play the trailer and then we can talk about it once we're done here. Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. I'm visiting Jake's parents for the first time. He hasn't been my boyfriend for very long. They really are looking forward to meeting you. I think of ending things. Hello? We're here. Oh, hi. Oh, it's all wet. <laughs> Here they come. Jeff has told us so much about you. He's told me so much about both of you, too. And you came anyway. <laughs> Jake tells me you're studying quantum psychics. Ooh, physics. Really? But there's just something profoundly wrong here. Are you okay? Yeah. I think you're ending I am so glad Jake has found someone. <laughs> Soon this will all be a distant memory. Who's this? It's me. No, it was me. I tell you, I would misplace my own head if it wasn't screwed onto my own head. I feel like I was seeing them as they were. Seeing them as they will be. Seeing them after they're gone. I'm thinking of ending. stay here. Excuse me? You don't have to go. I don't have to go where? Forward. People like to think of themselves as points moving through time. But I think it's the opposite. We're stationary. And time passes through us. Blowing like cold wind. Maybe this is how it was always going to end. Okay, so we're back. We just watched the trailer for you. I'm thinking of ending things by Charlie Kaufman. Chris, very curious to hear your thoughts. I mean, I think it looks like the perfect family comedy. (laughs) Yeah, gather the kids around. Let's watch a Charlie Kaufman film. Perfect. Um, I think that is my reservation about it, actually, is that, you know, it's Charlie Kaufman. So it's going to be very personal, very incisive, and probably also very dark. <laughs> um, but, you know, very kind of bleak in its outlook because, you know, Anomalisa was anything, you know, was pretty much that. Um, but it does look very visually inventive. 
So I am, you know, curious. He's always got interesting ideas. Um, and the casting really, I think, is just perfect. It looks like it's basically going to be, you know, four people. Um, yeah. Well, Jesse, Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley. I'm sure that never got confusing on set. So Jesse and Jesse. Um, Jesse Buckley, who we saw in Wild Rose. Yes, which I liked. And you yeah. were a little yeah. I was a little, I was, I was a little mixed on it, but I mean, she was good regardless. Jesse Plemons, I like quite a bit. I think he's he's great. And then Tony Collette looks like she goes through quite a bit of transformations in the film as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this film. Uh, it, it looks like it's hinting at family drama, possibly time travel. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say with with with. Uh, with his films, with Charlie Kaufman's films, but I'm intrigued. I think it looks really interesting. Yeah. And David Thewlis plays the father with Tony Collette playing the mother and David mm -hmm. Thewlis, people probably recognize him from like the Harry Potter films. Yeah. But yeah, it's just the four of them just seem perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah. It'd be very interesting. And, and, and something I just noted watching the trailer with headphones on, which I, I just did, which I have not done before. I watched the trailer before our recording today. Uh, if you heard a jangling chain kind of throughout the entire trailer, there's a shot in the trailer of a dog kind of shaking like he just came in from from getting wet outside with rain, and he's basically shaking it all off. Except you hear that noise throughout the, almost the entire trailer, and it's just and it even cuts to a shot of him still shaking at some point. So that that jangling sound was intentional, and that's uh, it's exactly what I would expect from Charlie Kaufman. So I'm very very anxious to see this. Well, and you mentioned kind of in the setup how, you know, trailers can be a double-edged sword. Sometimes they get you interested in movies, but then they can also ruin it because they give away too much, um, which is why for the longest time we didn't have a trailer topless section on the show. Um, but yeah, I just, I couldn't be more interested in seeing this film. And I trust Charlie Kaufman that he's not giving away everything in the trailer. Because yeah, I still, yeah. I kind of think I know what the movie's about, but I'm not really sure. All I know Not really sure. So... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great. I, I agree. I'm, I'm very, very curious. This one is coming to Netflix directly on September 4th. So we don't have very long to wait to see that. So I'm excited. That's, that's the kind of film that, you know, if we got to, if we got to be watching movies at home for the foreseeable future, this is, this is the kind of film to, to drop for me and let's see what happens. So, all right. And let's move on to our second trailer of the trailer top of section. This is a film called an American pickle. It is uh, starring Mr. Seth Rogen, directed by Brandon Trost, and it is one that's coming directly to HBO Max, which is their online subscription service. So we're going to go ahead and play the trailer now for An American Pickle. Amun, as ik arbeidsjaar in schoer ein in weerreich. Weerreich. Als zoeireich, as ik zo opsel in mijn eigen maatzeer. Uah. In old country of Schlupske, I am ditch digger. As far as jobs in Schlupske, it's pretty good. We are the Greenbounds, and we have American dream. I find good job in pickle factory. Sarah, I make this vow. One hundred years, our family will prosper. And then one day, everything changed. It's been 100 years. The pickle brine preserved him perfectly. 
The world has changed. Everyone I know is gone. You were able to track down a great grandson. Greenbaum. Greenbaum. <laughs> this is nuts. Walk past the cafe, but you don't need when you live to. Your parents, where are they? They passed away. It was a car crash. He will tell me everything of their deaths, how their bodies died, their faces as the life left. We will bond over our pain. Mm -hmm. Oh no, love, you're not alone. I understand why you're a religious person, but I am not. How do you grieve for dead parents? Doing okay. I have an idea. They start big old business. That's a very stupid idea, Herschel. You have no wife, no children, mm. no friends, no job. You need help. I'm fine. You're not alone! We will become success. Wow. Ooh, very pungent. Mmm, yeah, that's straight from the devil. We will finally make their parents proud. Don't talk about my parents. You never met them! You have captivated the hearts of the entire world. I'm probably not best case scenario for what the family's become. In old country, we have saying. I'm sure this has aged well. If man does not throw punch, it is because this man secretly had polio arm. Do something, Ben! Throw your punch! You know they cured polio, right? A guy named Jonas Salk. Was he Jew? He was. Yes. Is this your father? No, that's David Bowie. Is this your mother? No, that's also David Bowie. That whole poster is David Bowie. Okay, so that was the trailer for An American Pickle starring Seth Rogen. And as you may have kind of picked up from the trailer uh, here, it is uh, based on, it's actually based on a short story. Seth Rogen as Herschel Greenbaum, a struggling laborer who immigrates to America in 1920, but then when working at a pickle factory, gets brined for 100 years, only to be reawakened and meeting up with his, I guess, great-grandson? Yeah, great-grandson Ben, also played by Seth Rogen, in case you heard his voice quite a bit throughout the entire trailer. So, Chris, thoughts on what you saw with this trailer? Any any interest on your end? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, to me this movie seems like the perfect movie to come out on HBO max when people are at home and they just want something to kind of feel good. And it's a comedy and, you know, the trailer actually seeming seemingly does pretty much reveal the entire movie, but it lets you know, like, Hey, you know, this is probably worth your time. It'll be worth, you know, 90 minutes of movie watching. It'll be funny. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry possibly. Um, so, yeah, I, it made me want to see it. Um, it helps. I'm a sucker for use of music in movie trailers. Mm. And uh, I, I like David Bowie a lot. And the fact they use it and then they have that David Bowie joke at the end, which, you know, too bad the joke is now ruined for me. <laughs> but hopefully that is not yeah. one of the only jokes in the movie. But it just it was just a very well put together, put together trailer. And then to have that end tag at the end just kind of makes yeah. some you know, do I expect this to be a five star film? Well, probably not, but I think I'll I think I'll like it okay and find some merriment in it. Yeah, no, I I I I thought it was a really well done trailer, and that's the, probably the problem with it is that I do feel like I know seventy five percent of the story at least already, sure. and I'm I'm afraid that some of the uh, more interesting elements and moments might have been revealed in the trailer, but we'll see. Um, hey, again, I. 
I have HBO Max because it came free with a uh, my my personal cell phone plan for my family. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, cool. Well, you know, here again, it's another service that I have access to. Will I sit down for two hours and watch this film? Absolutely, I will. And we'll see how that slants my view of the film afterwards, knowing that I was basically giving it for free <laughs> to be able to watch at my own leisure. Um, but I do think it looks interesting. I love the premise. And, uh, you know, I, I can't tell if the film is meant to be uh, fantastical. The idea of a guy falling into a pickle brine and being there for 100 years and waking up. Or if they're, I, I don't know, I couldn't really tell the tone of the film. But again, I'm kind of waiting to see when I actually watch the film where they go with it. So. Sure. Well, I think yeah. from the outset, too, it, from what I can tell, it doesn't look like they're taking it too seriously. So, yeah, a guy falls into yeah. that and lives for 100 years because he's going a pickle. I mean, come on. You know, so. Yeah. That's kind of a good thing. Not, not meant to be based in reality, I guess. So that's good. So those are two films that we wanted to play the trailers for our trailer top of section. Again, both of them coming out. Actually, uh, the pickle movie has just come out. I think, I think it actually was released this past uh, weekend. So if you have HBO max, you can watch it now, mm-hmm. um, on the Charlie Kaufman movie, the, I'm um, thinking of ending things. That'll be September 4th on Netflix. So both of those available now or very, very soon. Chris, we also like to make sure we just kind of cover any other int- notes of interest news in the movie world, production world that we want to talk about. I believe you said you had a couple of items you wanted to throw in the, on the plate here yeah, to talk about. Is that, I, yeah, I have two. Um, one is kind of shorter and the other one's a little bit longer. So I'll go with the shorter one first. Um, it has okay. been released that John Hamm, he of like Mad Men fame. That's how I mostly know him. Um, he's done some other things, but John Hamm, He's going to star and produce a reboot of Chevy Chase's Fletch. Alan, Hmm. what are your thoughts? Now, Abe, have you seen the original Fletch with Chevy Chase? Have I seen the original Fletch with Chevy? That is the question you're asking me. If I've seen (laughs) of course I have. No, yeah, it played nonstop in my house, unfortunately, uh, for when I was much younger. I'm fine with this for several reasons. A, although I think the original Fletch with Chevy Chase is very funny and very good. I also know that it's based on a series of books, uh, detective books about the character of Fletch. And I'm always fine with if people want to take a slightly different slant on it and maybe make it maybe a little more true to the books. I don't know. Um, were there also two, were there two Fletch what? films? Was there Fletch? There was two movies. Okay, I never saw Fletch lives. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as good. Um, and plus Chevy Chase, I'm, I'm kind of fine retiring him for now. So, um, you know, it's okay if if somebody else wants to take the mantle on. And I think John Hamm is really good at balancing uh, comedy and drama. Um, the Fletch movie, you know, although it was Chevy Chase and it was funny, it was still a murder, you know, investigation and it still had some moments of a a little bit of thrilling and drama to it. So I think John Hamm can pull off both sides, which is, I think, going to be great. So I'm no, I'm all for it. I say bring it on. Uh, we still have the Chevy Chase original for purists who want to go back and visit that. But uh, I like John Hamm a lot. So I'm bring it on. And I think he's he's somebody that you know, he's seasoned enough actor. He's not just going to try to redo Chevy Chase's play. No. He's going to make it kind of his own. Like you're saying, the source material, you know, there's a lot of source material there. So it will be a Fletch movie, but it could be, you know, not have the kind of murder plot thing of either of the first two movies. So it can still be yeah. its own thing. So 
It's right. like a yep. it's, instead of a reboot, maybe it's more of a reimagining of. Well, it's actually very similar. It kind of reminds me a little bit of what's happening with, um, I don't know if you're, you know, Perry Mason um, is a series now on HBO and it's Matthew Reese and it's a very, very different style than what the Raymond Burr TV show was back in the, you know, back in the 60s. So again, it's this idea of you're taking a character that's kind of rooted in some other source material and just having a, a little bit of a different slant on it or a different approach and a lot of stories and source material to work with. I'm all for that. I mean, it doesn't ruin the original as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's just a compliment to it. So, um, and again, Chevy chase is still funny in Che in, in Fletch. Um, for me, hasn't aged as well as just a comedic actor and, you know, I'm all for if, if it's time to refresh it, let's do it. So. Yeah. I think it, think it sounds interesting. So yeah, I like John Hamm. Have you seen? I know, I know we're talking TV stuff with this right now. With with this example, have you seen the uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt uh, show on Netflix? I have. I have not seen. I think the interactive thing they just recently really. Booked. Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't either. But mm-hmm. but you've seen John Hamm in that where he got to play really over the top comedy on it. Was it and uh, or something or preacher or. Something? He was the he was the one who was holding captive the the women in underground compound underground bunker right, right. and uh, yeah he just he really he's got some great comedy chops so again I'm all for it uh, but we've obviously seen him play very dramatic and serious roles too so let's let's let them blend them together and let's see what happens I think it's great sure. good okay right. so the next one I have uh, Bradley Cooper is in talks to star in Paul Thomas Anderson's next film, which is supposedly going to be a 1970s coming-of-age drama. Plot details are, of course, you know, being kept hush-hush. I mean, it is P.T. PT Anderson. But the film reportedly involves multiple storylines, no shock there, centering around a kid actor attending high school in California's San Fernando Valley. And if you're a fan of P.T. Anderson, you know that that's also the setter, setting for Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and Punch Drunk Love. So he's kind of returning to, you know, a familiar territory for him. And it's also, you know, a little bit more current than like Phantom Thread as far as time period. <laughs> um, it's interesting that Bradley Cooper signed on for that. Um, his next behind-the-camera project after A Star is Born, which he directed is going to be an untitled Leonard Bernstein biopic to Netflix. Okay, so he's got this P.T. Anderson thing he's going to be acting in. Then he's got a Leonard Bernstein biopic that he's going to be behind the camera for and starring as the legendary composer Leonard Bernstein. Okay, and as if that's not enough, he's also going to be finishing up Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley, which is in the middle of production before it was shut down because of coronavirus. So three big films that are going to be coming out for it. He's got a PTA film coming out. He's got Nightmare Alley, the Guillermo del Toro uh, vehicle that's going to be coming out. And then at some point, who knows when, because of how Netflix releases things, he's got an untitled Leonard Bernstein biopic. So there's a lot going on with him. So now, Chris, let's let's move on. We're about ready to close the show, but we always do our last segment right beforehand, which is I know the part that everybody's waiting for the entire show. They sit through the reviews and the news just to get to our recommendations here, our patented recommendations for the episode. Is there a, you and I both recommend a film that we either just recently caught back up with 
got to see for the first time or just something we feel like is worth bringing up as a recommendation of a film we think people ought to check out, especially if you're home a lot more these days and looking for some different forms of entertainment. Not a lot of new movies come out in the theater. So here we're here to help you out with that. So Chris, what do you have for us today as a recommendation of a film for someone to check out? So um, I finally caught up with a film from 2018 called Border and B-O-R-D-E-R. And I'll read the description. When a border guard with a sixth sense for identifying smugglers encounters the first person she cannot prove is guilty, she is forced to confront terrifying revelations about herself and humankind. Um, This film was nominated for the Best Foreign Language Film in uh, 2019 for the 91st Academy Awards. It had a really interesting, you know, they showed little clips of the films, obviously, and this one had a really interesting look to it and it looked really odd and I was like huh wonder wonder what that is but it never really you know I never saw it it was a foreign film obviously so I never really saw it come to American theaters and it just kind of passed under the radar I'd totally forgotten about it but it popped up on Hulu and I was like oh there's that film and so I watched it and I really really liked it I will mm. say it is, it is very bizarre it's mm-hmm. not going to be a cup of tea um, not a family film, but um, mm-hmm. disturbing imagery in it too. So that's just something to kind of be aware of. Um, but I really liked it. It's one of those films where you just really have no idea what you're getting into. And if you haven't seen a trailer for it, but this sounds like something you might like, don't watch a trailer. Just go into the film cold. Um, border. So, border. Yep. Is it uh, is it American film? Is it from another country? No, it's, it's, it's Sweden said, cause it was best foreign language film. So oh, it, it does. Right, yeah. You mentioned that. Okay. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think it's like Sweden's film or something. I can't, yeah, Sweden was Sweden's film. So for the Academy Awards that year, but okay. it's, it's good. It's really good. And just Interesting. It's, it's unlike anything that I've ever seen before. Like it's totally unique. If you get tired of, Oh, I feel like, you know, all these films are the same or, you know, this definitely is something that you've never seen before. So that's a 2018 film you said, right? Right. Because of, I guess it did get released here in 2019. So it was eligible for that year's Academy Awards. Um, it didn't win. I can't remember what it lost to right off the top mm-hmm. of my head, but um, yeah, but I've, interesting. I've, it has been added to my watch list and it's a Chris Fry five star letterbox review. My goodness. This is a, yeah. uh, all right. Well, now you have piqued my interest. I, I will be I will be queuing that up to watch very, very soon here. So border. OK, um, so mine not as uh, not as unique, not as interesting, but for whatever reason, I don't know why. I've been home, obviously, a little more between my office and, and the house. It's pretty much my two spots where I'm spending most of my time now. And um, I don't know what why this film popped back in my head, but I had a hankering one night to say, you know what? I want to watch this film again. Cause I remember really liking it back when it first came out. And I'm just curious to see if it holds up. I'm always curious to see if kind of pivotal, like especially big action movies from back in the day still hold up as a really good film or not. Uh, something that I remember seeing several times in the movie theater. Uh, and I just was just curious. So And luckily, one of my boys said, hey, I want to watch that with you, too. So we ended up watching it together. And it was the movie Speed with Keanu Reeves. This was 1994. Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock, and Dennis Hopper. I I loved... 
get confused with speed two, the boat that couldn't stop. Oh, no, no. We, we don't talk about speed two in our house. Um, okay. Speed is the only speed that was made. Um, ah. But it was a matter of, I do love this movie when it came out. It, it's not, it wasn't quite diehard level, but it was a, wow, they did something really interesting and cool and different with an action movie. Now, we see action movies from 1994 onward and they all look like either Die Hard or Speed or anybody else. So you got to remember back in 94, not only Keanu Reeves was not a patented action star quite yet. I think he had done just point break and that's it, but he had not carried a full movie by himself as an action star. Uh, and then you'd had Die Hard come out just not too, you know, a few years before kind of doing the same kind of thing with Bruce Willis. These movies were really kind of setting a different tone for action movies. And I think we forget that. But uh, Jean Devant, you know, directing Speed, I did watch it again. I was really amazed at how well it held up, not only in being a thrilling action movie, but I forgot the fact that it actually kind of had three parts of the movie. The bus thing about, you know, not letting the bus slow down below 55 miles per hour. There's a lot of jokes that come out of that. You know, in pop culture, we've heard people reference this for, for 20 years now. But at the time, it was kind of an interesting concept. In the film itself, that's not even the whole film. There's like actually two other action set pieces before and after that kind of make up three parts of the film that kind of caught me by surprise when I went back to revisit it. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, Dennis Hopper, it's completely hamming it up. Uh, back when it was cool in 94 to do your villains in an action movie to be super handballs, now it doesn't work as well. It's a little annoying and it's not... It's not very nuanced. It's, it's just not a good performance anymore. And Keanu Reeves, you know, yeah, he's playing the the tough guy, cool guy, action star. But for whatever reason, he's, he pulls it off. I don't know. Even with the lines he's given that are very cliche lines, he still makes them work. So um, not everything holds up completely, but I was still really impressed with how good an action movie this is, uh, especially when thinking about it in the time it came out. So I'm recommending Speed. Jean DeBont's film starring uh, Keanu Reeves from 1994. Uh, if you haven't seen it and you like action movies, or maybe you saw it, you know, 20 some years ago and haven't seen it since it is worth checking out again. I think it's a fun ride. You see what I did there saying it was a fun ride. I didn't even have, I didn't even have that written down, Chris, that just, just came out naturally. So I have not seen speed since I saw it in the theater. So, and you know, I sit here laughing, but maybe, maybe I should revisit it. So it, it, it is a film that you talk about it now and your, your inclination is to want to joke because it sounds, it just seems like it's one of those over the top nineties action films that everybody kind of jokes about now, but I mean, it's a really well-made action movie. I just, I stand by it. Okay. It's, it's not quite diehard level, but from action movies, classic action movies for me, it is, it's, it's, it's up in that top echelon right now. So yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, I think we are done with today's show. We have recommended a couple of movies, border and speed, very, very different sounding films. It seems like, um, we also talked about the film Greyhound and the film, the rental in our review section. We had some trailers from Charlie Kaufman's new movie and Seth Rogen's new movie An American pickle. We talked about John Hamm as a potential Fletch. And we talked about all the cool projects that Mr. Bradley Cooper seems to be involved with these days. So Chris, it sounds like a pretty full show to me. If anybody's got some questions, comments, feedback, or ideas for us, how can they reach out to us going forward? You can send us an email at info at foot You can also follow us on Twitter at foot candle film. 
Alan and I are on Letterboxd where you can track what we're seeing and sometimes we do many reviews there. If you would, please consider giving us a star rating or write a review for us in iTunes to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it very much. And I don't think we have actually mentioned this in this show. It's kind of incredible, but I will mention it now. Foot Candle Film Festival coming up September 23rd through oh, the yeah. 20th. Um, kind of a big deal for us. Uh, if you're interested, you can go to footcandlefilmfestival.com and find out about tickets and schedule and all that kind of stuff. It's all up there now. So, um, And it's all going to be online, so you don't have to travel to Hickory this year <laughs> to uh, – to come see it because because of you know we're worried about theaters being open and all that we moved it online so anybody in the united states can join us for the festival and we hope you do yeah it's going to be a, a very interesting year for us to do everything online but that's that is the good news if we have to take some good news out of the situation we're in is that now anybody can join us uh for the festival and watch any of the films and we will have live q a sessions after many of the films as well that people can join in and uh, hear the discussions about the films that we show. So it should be a lot of fun. That's great. Footcandlefilmfestival.com, just like Chris said. All right. Well, we are going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. Chris, thanks again. Good seeing you as always. We will plan on getting together soon. And uh, until then, thanks everybody for listening. And we will talk to you in the next episode. Once theaters are open, I'll see you in the ticket room. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com.